please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we ask you to please open our hearts and our minds to receive. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would transform us, you would encourage and convict us. Lord, you would speak into our lives those things we most need right now as we follow you. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Please be seated. So it is a four-day weekend for many of us as our kids are out of school both Friday and Monday. And on Friday, one of the first things my youngest said to me is, Daddy, can we play today? <laughs> Sorry, not my very youngest. I, I forget about him sometimes. He's only been around for six months. <laughs> my second two youngest... <laughs> And, uh, and I said, buddy, I got to work today. And he goes, but daddy, it's not Sunday. <laughs> I do work more than Sunday, really. I mean, like I work Sunday and, oh wait, maybe it's, no. I really do work more than Sunday. But this whole like time off for the kids and everything and what they're going to do and they're asking us to interact with them and which we really want to and President's Day weekend. What does it even mean? So your first unofficial celebration, 1800, a year after Washington dies. And as you move through the century, eventually it will become an official holiday. To do what? Well, originally, it was patriotic. I mean, it was similar to Fourth of July. Like, we're celebrating our country and our first president and the victory that separated us from England. I mean, this is like a big deal. Today, I think I can make the argument that one of the primary things for President's Day weekend is buying stuff. Sales. I mean, this is, Monday is one of the biggest days of the entire year to buy appliances. The sales, in many cases, are better than Black Friday. That's what you see, right? It's all of the advertisements. It's President's Day sales. I asked my kids, did they talk about President's Day, about Washington, Lincoln, anything, the whole week? None of them did, not in a single class. The only thing they mentioned is, you have the time off. <laughs> is there a point where our celebrations, where our practices, they get disconnected from what they were originally intended and become something else, and when they become something else, they also lose something of great value? What we're gonna talk about today is the Sabbath. And in this passage, they have lost the original intent, have made it into something else, 
And in doing so, they've lost something. And it will raise the question for us, are there things that we do that we've lost original intent? We've put something else into it and maybe we've lost some of its value. Open up your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter six. We're continuing through Luke. Luke chapter six. We're in verse one. We started back at the beginning of Luke 5 when we started off Epiphany, and we're just continuing through. Luke chapter 6 and verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, I'm just going to fill in a little of the blanks. Um, Luke has already said that the typical practice of Jesus on a Sabbath is to go to the synagogue. So he's probably already done that. This is likely the afternoon. Um, because they are getting ready to pluck and grind some grains of head together, grains together, the heads of grain, um, they're probably in May, and the weather in Israel is relatively nice. This is a nice stroll. They are out on a Sabbath day, following church, wandering the grain fields. And when it says through, it's probably not directly in the middle, but along the outskirts, which according to the Old Testament's, you could pluck and eat from that. That's what they're doing. So they're rubbing these heads of grain together, and then some of the Pharisees say to them, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, I have heard more than once these guys pictured almost like cartoon characters like they're hiding behind something and then they pop out as soon as they're like rubbing the heads of grain together. Um, that is not the picture. Um, what you need to keep in mind is what's been happening. Jesus began preaching. I'm here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Like it's here. Everything you've been waiting for ever since Yahweh left the temple centuries you've been waiting. I am preaching the kingdom of God. And they've been watching him. They want to know. And, and, and if you remember even what we've preached so far in this series, he forgave sins at one point. And their initial response is like, whoa, you cannot do that. And so he performs a healing. And they go, oh my goodness, can he? Like, we're not sure now. That was amazing. Then he calls a tax collector. And then he goes and eats with sinners. And again, they ask, why are you doing this? This is not really what we're expecting here. This is not what we would see for Messiah, the one bringing in the kingdom, would be doing. In fact, it would be the opposite. You'd be separate from those sinners. Then somebody, a group come and say, hey, your disciples aren't doing what disciples do. See, there's all these questions because they're trying to figure out, is he real? I mean, can I tell you something? They want him to be real as much as we would want him to be real. Like they want God to come back. They want Yahweh to return. They've been waiting for this. But is he the one? And so he finishes with synagogue. He is out taking a walk. And they are with him at some point. They're wandering around and they notice and they come up and they ask. And the question is really specific. Get the question. Hey, number one, it's not an accusation. 
you screwed up, you're in trouble. It's not a question, is that okay? It's a very specific question. Why are your disciples doing what is not lawful? What gives you the authority for your disciples to be doing what they're doing? This is an identity question. It is the same thing they've been looking for this entire time. If you're really this person, why would your disciples be doing this? Or who are you? Why are they getting to do this? Answer our question. Help us understand why they can do this. Now, let me give you a little background. This is huge for the Pharisees. Everything that's happened so far is big. Sabbath is really big. There was an entire group of Jewish people in the first century that believed the Sabbath was the second greatest commandment, followed only after love the Lord your God out of Deuteronomy. Sabbath was next. It was that big of a deal. And if you think of Sabbath, Sabbath comes in creation, it's in the commandments, and it is the reason why they are taking out of the land for 70 years. Sabbath is huge in their minds. But something has happened to the celebration of the Sabbath, and it's the main reason they're coming after Jesus. Sabbath has become an identification. Sabbath has become, how do we know if you're a true Israelite? Do you honor the Sabbath in all of the ways that we've set out to honor the Sabbath? Because Sabbath is a way of separating. Sabbath is a way of going, okay, you guys do it, you don't. Now we know you're the real ones, you're not. And the more things we add into it, the more we really know. Because you're doing all of those things. And it's easy to tell, they're not. This is true, Israel. This is not. And it's very much become an identification of who is true Israel. So I have flown first class one time my whole life. And it was recently. And it was amazing. And I'm not sure I can ever go back. Because, like, here's what I'm used to. I'm used to, like, crawling over people to get to your seat. And when you get in there, your arms are like this. And you can't even turn your head because you're breathing on people if you do. You're like elbowing in them. And first class, you're like, oh. You like cross your legs out in front of you. You sit down and there's a water waiting for you. You don't have to wait for the plane to take off and for everything to settle and for the cart to get to you. There's water there. And then somebody walks up to you before everybody else is seated and they like stop people. You need to wait there. Would you like some coffee, sir? And I'm like, seriously? Yes, please, two. I mean, it was just like, first class is crazy. But as I walked up, I didn't have a paper ticket. I just had it on my phone, and it wouldn't load. And so they go, you know, they, they loaded the people who needed help, and they're like, first class. You're like ahead of everybody else. Silver, gold, first class. I'm like walking up, yeah. And I hold out my phone. <laughs> I'm like, Come on. And, and the lady's like, it's okay, sir. And I'm like, no. And after a while, she's going, hmm. And I can just see her looking for the bodyguards. Like they're getting ready to move me out. But I finally got it up. And as soon as they scanned that thing, they knew I was first class. That's the Sabbath. We know you're first class Jews. We know you're real. You're real Israel. 
And so Jesus, if you're real, if you're really Messiah, if you're really the one to come, why are you doing this one giant thing that like, this is how you're identified? The very question of your identity is being challenged because you're challenging something that identifies you as true Israel. Here's his answer. And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Let me tell you what Jesus is not doing here. He's not just pulling a story out of the Old Testament to go, well, David did it wrong, other people can do it wrong too, I'm good. That's not his point. His point is very particular here. There's a reason he chose David. Number one, the scene is pretty similar. You've got David, who's the true king. He's already been anointed, even though Saul's on the throne. You've got David, the true king, who is in need of food. He's got a motley band of followers with him. And he goes in and he eats bread that is normally not allowed to be eaten. Here you have Jesus, who is the true king, who's got a followers with him. They're hungry, and they're eating what is not normally lawful to eat. So there's a direct parallel there, but here's the bigger one. David was the true king of Israel. Jesus is the true king of Israel, which is why his answer here, and he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm gonna answer your identity question first. Why are my disciples doing this? Because I am the true king. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I have the authority to let them do this. I am Lord of the Sabbath. He answers them by answering the actual question they have. Whose authority? It's the why that's underneath. He's not looking, they're not looking for an explanation. They're looking for the authority that would give them the authority to do this. And Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, the true king. I read this story this week, and uh, I really did research to find out if it was true. And it looks to be like 80% probably true. Following the service, David Harrell may correct me. But I'm pretty sure... Pretty sure it happened, at least in some form. It was in a newspaper article around the time. The Washington Post did something on it. Snopes isn't sure. Like, they checked it out, and there's a lot of debate. Um, but here's the story. Amy Carter, President Carter's daughter, while he was in the White House, while he was president, had an assignment on the Industrial Revolution. And the question she had, she didn't understand, and so she went and asked her mom. Her mom also didn't understand the question, and so she had one of her aides contact the Department of Labor to ask them the question and to get as much background as she could get on it. This was on a Friday. The assignment was due on a Monday. Sunday afternoon, the Department of Labor shows up at the White House with a gigantic report on the Industrial Revolution because they thought this was an official request by the president to research this. 
not his daughter's assignment for school. But that's the kind of authority that Jesus is claiming. Because even if it had been for the school and the president had asked for it, they would have done it, as you can see. The same thing is true of what Jesus is saying. That's my authority. Now the question is, what does that mean? What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? And I want to show you in the next account. Keep reading. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Again, that's his normal practice. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now, verse 7, this is what it's come to. After everything that's happened so far, this is what it's come to. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. This is the first time it's said in this way. Up to this point, they're paying attention. But you can argue that their motives are mixed or good. They actually want to know, is this the guy? And he does some incredible things. He has some incredible teaching. However, he's done enough up to this point, especially what he says about the Sabbath. You're Lord of the Sabbath? You compare yourself to David? You're going to let your disciples just violate the Sabbath? Now, they're there watching him. Because Jesus has gone from a possible Messiah to somebody who is dangerous. Because he cannot possibly be the one. Not the way he treats the Sabbath. He's not these folks over here. He can't be true Israel. Which means we gotta find a way to discredit him. Now it is time. We gotta find a way to ruin the popularity before he leads people astray, before he disrupts whatever little peace we have with Rome. We gotta do something about this guy. So now they're watching to get him. And here's what happens. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there and Jesus said to him, said to them, I ask you, is it lawful? Same terminology. They wanted to know why are your disciples doing what's not lawful? He then talked about what David did that wasn't lawful. Now he's gonna ask them. Let me ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And you can imagine just a moment that he just pauses. Has one of those very awkward moments of silence. How many of you are good with awkward moments of silence? You know those times when you're all gathered together and and you're waiting for someone to pray? And you're like, do I do it? Do it? I don't I don't know if I and everybody just sits there for a while, and eventually the person who's supposed to close you goes, okay, and then they start praying. Or when you're sitting around and somebody asks a question, so what do you think about this passage? And nobody says anything. And the Bible study leader's going, come on, somebody say something, please. And everybody's getting more and more uncomfortable. And just picture Jesus throwing this question out there for a moment. Because they know the answer. But they can't accept the answer. 
because it'll overturn what they believe. But they know the answer. And then, after looking around at them all, he said, stretch out your hand. Just picture the tension. What's lawful to do? Stretch out your hand. He puts it out there. You get all the Pharisees going, he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. Because remember, this time, they are watching. This time, it really is about what will he do. And he did so, and his hand was restored. What is Jesus doing? As Lord of the Sabbath, he is returning the Sabbath to its intention. The Sabbath was not primarily about an identity. It was about freedom and about healing and about rest. The Sabbath was about recognizing that Yahweh is on the throne, not me, and I can take a day off and I can trust him. Sabbath was about worship. It was about acknowledging who he is, not about how different I am from you. Now, did it show that? Yes. I mean, if you weren't one who worshiped Yahweh, certainly it was gonna show a difference. But that's not its primary intent. It was rest and restoration and worship. And so here is Jesus saying, I'm gonna free this man. I'm gonna heal this man. I'm gonna do what God did at creation by creating what is good in this man's life. This is what Sabbath always has been. And you've become so focused on something else that you can't even see it. I read this account of a man who is Jewish and he was talking about Sabbath. And he gave this illustration of his son in swimming lessons. And I thought it was so perfect for this. He said, I'm, reminding of a, I'm reminded of a conversation I overheard the other day um, at my child's swimming class. The instructor had just concluded his 10-minute introduction on the joys and the dangers of swimming. And he said, are there any questions? And my 10-year-old Bobby raised his hand and he said, can I play with my Game Boy while I'm swimming? Uh, no, Bobby, the instructor said, we shouldn't have any electronic devices with us in the water. Well, how about Scrabble then? Uh, can I play Scrabble while I'm swimming? It's not electronic. Uh, no, Bobby, I, I don't think that would be possible either. Well, can I wear my cowboy boots? I, I really wouldn't recommend wearing cowboy boots while swimming. And so it went, and Bobby was disappointed to learn that he couldn't ride his bicycle, play the piano, paint the garage, or eat a grilled cheese sandwich while he was swimming. Finally, he walked away in disgust, saying, there's too many things I can't do. And what the man used it for is he said, that's what the Sabbath became. It was all about what you couldn't do. And you forgot all about what you were supposed to do, what it was really meant for. He said, I had to talk to my son about the fact that no, swimming's not about Game Boys and eating grilled cheese. It's about swimming. 
Like there's a great joy in actually swimming. You don't need the other things. But if all you focus on is what you can't do, you will miss what it's all about. That's what was happening to the Sabbath. To the point that, I mean, look at the text here in verse 11. But they were filled with fury. I mean, what a response. A man just got a part of his life back. He just had his hand healed that he hasn't been able to use for who knows how long. And they're filled with fury over this. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And another gospel, it just talks about they want to kill him. They want him out of the way. There's, there's a translation that says they want to assassinate him, which is essentially what it is. Because he so went against this thing that they believed identified them, even though they had completely lost its point. They had completely forgotten why they were actually doing what they were doing. Now, I think, um, and it's not a stretch, I don't believe, that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he did this. That the Sabbath was that important. That it was worth ticking these guys off because it was that important. He didn't want to get rid of it. He wanted to get it back to what it was supposed to be because it was important. Because the Sabbath could bring healing and restoration and rest and worship and all of these things. And it was worth it. I asked my children this morning. I said, why did we go to church? And I said, I want to start with the five-year-old because I don't want him to cheat. I want the 12-year-old to answer first because she's all spiritual and stuff and she's going to you know, give a great answer. So I'm going to start with the five-year-old. My five-year-old says, to praise God, Like, yeah, look at me as a parent, man. We'll get to the next part later, don't worry. I said, okay, eight-year-old. I didn't call him that, but just so you know. What about you? Well, to praise God and to learn about God. These are pretty good Sunday school answers so far. These guys are getting it. I said, all right, daughter. To praise God and to learn about God with others who also believe in God. Okay, so if I would just to stop there, I'd be like, man, I am kicking it. I am rocking as a parent here, raising these kids right. I said, all right, Killian, what does it mean to praise God? Um, to pray? To, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know the right words to say. I know I'm supposed to go, but I'm not totally sure why. And, and you know, when we do religious things, but we're not really sure why, basically all they are is an identification. All they are is, yeah, I'm a Christian because I do these kinds of things. 
the Sabbath wasn't identification, it was formation. It was transformation. The religious things that we do, and I'm using that as a broad term, I'm gonna say a few things in a moment. They're not meant to identify us in some way. We're not coming to pink elementary and sitting in plastic chairs just so we can go, look, we're Christians. Or look, I've checked this off. You know, I've done my church thing. Um, that's not why we're doing it. And by the way, I'm not necessarily saying that's what you think. But if you do, that's not why we're doing it. We're doing this as a transformational practice in obedience to God. We're doing this to grow. We come in so that, I, I, that answer to worship, that's absolutely correct. We're here to worship. And then we had a discussion with my kids. Like worship, to praise. We are here partly to honor the Lord. Here's the thing. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you, to li- I want you to really think about this. How easy is it to listen to the songs that we sing and either not sing them at all, not really pay attention, just think about something else, or to sing the words without thinking about what we're singing? How easy is that to do? I want to let you in on a secret. Okay? The worship team does not produce good music for our entertainment, as good as it is. They're doing it to help usher us into the presence of God, that we might worship with it. And I know that is hard because for some people, singing and music is like second nature. For others, it's not something that really connects with you all that much. My challenge to you is to look at the words because it's not just a rote exercise. It's not a ritual. It's not a, well, when you go to church, you sing songs. Yes, that is true. But it's because we're praising God. That's the intention. In fact, everything we're doing on a Sunday morning has deeper meaning. It's not just here for us to be here. It's not like, well, you had nothing to do on Sunday morning. How many of you had other things you could do on a Sunday morning? Just raise your hand. I mean, really. Get things you could have been doing, right? We're here to grow, to connect with God. We're here to worship. We're here to be transformed. We're here to be together as the body of Christ and to grow as the body of Christ together. So many of you are new to Anglicanism. There's probably more people here that are new to it than not. And if you are new, you've seen us do things like this, the sign of the cross. And there's people that wonder, like, what is that? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not a spasm of my hand just doing this. It's also not, well, I just saw some other people do it, so I started doing it. Let me tell you something. I come from a Bible church. In Bible churches, you don't do this. You do that in a Bible church, your salvation might be questioned. I know because I came from one. You do not do that in a Bible church. That is, I don't do this just because I saw other people do it. I came into this particular way of worshiping in Christianity and learned that this is a physical sign that I am under the cross of Christ. This is a physical sign that I am set apart by the blood of Jesus and nothing can stand against that. This is a physical sign that I want to be set apart for him and for his work. 
When I make this sign, it means something to me. In fact, part of the reason I came over to Anglicanism is because it is filled with ways that incorporate the body into worship, into our holiness. Because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're physical beings. The things we do have meaning. And the more you recognize the meaning, the more you may do them for the right reasons. We're approaching a season, the season of Lent. This is my favorite season of the year. And this is what I want to talk, I'm, not gonna, I'm only gonna speak for a moment on this. But I want you to know we don't do Lent just because it's the history of the church. We don't do Lent just because we got to a certain day of the year and like, okay, now it's time to do Lent. We do Lent because it's part of a rhythm in the life of Jesus Christ. And starting with Advent and moving through to the coming of the Holy Spirit, we remember every single year and we live into the life of Jesus Christ. And that's part of this rhythm of Lent. It starts with Ash Wednesday, where you get ashes that remind us that we are dust. We came from dust, we returned to dust, and yet we are loved by Almighty God. That he can do amazing things with dust. And it takes us through this season where we remember how much Christ gave. We remember all he went through for us. Do you know why I push so hard? I'd love to see our entire church at every Ash Wednesday service, every Monday Thursday service, and every Good Friday service. And it is not because I put a bunch of time into a sermon. In fact, I didn't even preach last time. It had nothing to do with that. Somebody else preached. It is not because I need bodies to make me feel good about my service. It is because these services are an instrumental part of formation. They take us through this season. They help us enter in. And I'm gonna tell you something. If you celebrate all of Lent, Easter morning will not be the same for you. Because when you walk in after those 40 days of fasting and prayer and sackcloth and ashes and repentance and all of those things, and you walk in and everything is white and we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a celebration. This stuff has meaning. My encouragement for you is to remember why we're doing what we're doing and to enter into it in that way. Every Sunday, every day, every season, why we're doing what we're doing. All right. So I told you that my kids didn't hear anything about President's Day. Nothing. The other thing that was interesting about President's Day is it's called President's Day, sometimes with an apostrophe between the T and the S, sometimes with an apostrophe at the S, sometimes with no apostrophe. Sometimes it's called Washington's birthday. I mean, it's got all these names. It's got different ways of celebrating it. You've got different people who think it's different things. You've had fights over what this thing actually is. Did you know that if you look at federal law, it is Washington's birthday? It's not Washington and Lincoln. It's not all presidents. It's Washington's birthday. And 
it never falls on Washington's birthday, ever. It doesn't fall on his birthday on the Gregorian calendar or the Julian calendar, either one, February 11th or February 22nd. It never falls on his actual birthday. It gets to February 21st, it never falls on his birthday. You know why? Because they decided to make a number of federal holidays all on a Monday. Why? So that employees would get three-day weekends. I think there's only two purposes for most people celebrating President's Day. It's either to shop or to have a day off. That's it. Very little about actually honoring the president. Can we not do that with church? With service, with worship, with mission, with being neighborly, whatever we're doing, whatever we're doing for the Lord. They're not checklists. They're not things that make us, you know, high and mighty or that they're service to God Almighty. Let's not forget that. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Lord, help us to remember the reasons we do what we do. That even as he stepped in as Lord of the Sabbath to return the Sabbath to its purpose, Lord, in any way where we may have gotten off, where we may have slipped into nothing more than ritual, where we may have forgotten why we are here, Lord, help us to remember that we might worship you in spirit and truth, that we might honor you with our minds, our hearts, and our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.